am Michael Perlet. I am Asher Collins, and together we bring you Exercise Equals Life podcast. Thank you, Angelo Gingerelli, for coming on the Exercise Equals Life podcast. I'm looking forward to discussing with you today what it takes to be a collegiate level strength coach. Appreciate it, man. Looking forward to doing this with you, Mike. Awesome. So let's just jump right into it, right? What made you interested in being a strength conditioning coach, whether it was at the collegiate level or more so at a various other, at a different state? I had a kind of a weird intro to the field. It started younger than a lot of people, particularly in my generation. In your era and the era we live in now, it's kind of common engagement and stuff super young. But in the 90s, it definitely wasn't the case. There's something you kind of did later on in your career. And I went to a public high school at the Jersey Shore and the Tom River High School East. And in the 90s, we had, at the time, was a great weight room, right? It was open to all the students. And we had a great strength and conditioning coach named Ron DeVito, became a big mentor, probably my first mentor in the profession by far. We're still in touch now. We talk every couple of weeks. And he's been retired for a long time. He's been a great source of information for me over the you know, decades at this point. So I went to my high school weight room like most kids, wanting to get bigger and stronger and be able to compete in sports at a higher level. I just fell in love with the weight room. Made my best friends in there. I, by my junior, senior year, was liking the weight room days more than the, the sports days. You know what I mean? I just kind of really got into it. We had a powerlifting team. I got into powerlifting pretty young, 16, 17 years old. Uh, I did that to my early 20s. Then kind of segued into Olympic lifting from there. And then my 30s, switched over to run a marathon. So kind of ran the gamut from super strength, super power side of things to super endurance side of things throughout my career, which I, I think is a good thing. And then I just decided early on, the weight room and being healthy and, and Coach DeVito was such a big influence on my life. I wanted to have that impact on other people. So right when I was graduating high school, the University of Delaware was starting a major in exercise science with a concentration in strength and conditioning. So now in, 20, in the 2020s, that's pretty common, right? That's, you know, by every other school or something similar to that. In the mid-90s, nobody else offered that. So I was the first person, that, I was in the first class of people to go through that program and have that actually on my diploma. The last thing I had to do to finish on my degree requirements at University of Delaware was a 400-hour, I believe, internship. I did that down in Ryan, North Carolina, at North Carolina State. I met a lot of coaches down there, including Charles Stevens, who now is at, at UCF working with their basketball program. He became you know, a mentor as well. And then right as soon as I finished up the internship, I got hired on as a grad assistant strength coach at Virginia Tech. I was there for two years, got my master's degree in exercise health promotions. As soon as I wrapped up that, just lucky enough, the stores lined up, a full-time job opened up at NC State. I applied that job right back to where I was, where I interned a couple of years there. Uh, after a few years at State, the baseball team was doing really well. I got a chance to work with the Pittsburgh Pirates for a season. And then in 2005, the position I have now at Seton Hall opened up, and I've been at Seton Hall University since 2005. So if your listeners know, you know, 18 years in the college setting in one place is unheard of, right? It's almost like dog years. Like every year in this in this job is like seven years in a regular job. But I've done it for close to 20 years. I like what I'm doing. I like the people I'm doing it with. Not to say it's not without its challenges, but I get to live in a cool part of the country. I get to raise my family in New Jersey. I get to be the New Jersey State Director of the NSCA. And it's been a really cool experience. So overall, I think there's a lot of things you can get in our profession by moving around and constantly looking to take that next step. But also there's a lot of things you can get it, get out of by doing it my way, by staying in one place for a while and establishing roots uh, in one part of the country. So that's a wonderful background, right? You you come with such great experience, right, from, from as a minor level and now with the Pittsburgh Pirates to Seton Hall. 
um, through all of that, the, right, all the experience, what was the most profound moment? Who made the greatest impact for you? That, that's an interesting question, man. I think from a from a who from a what do you want to do with your life and how do you want to impact people? I would definitely say uh, Ron DeVito, my first mentor in Tom Joker High School East back in the nineties. As far as a big picture, what kind of impact you want to have on other people and young athletes and young people? Definitely him. And I would say from an educational perspective, as far as how do you how do you do it every day? How do you implement things? That's a little bit tougher because I feel like I've been lucky enough to work with a bunch of good people throughout my career, and I've learned a little bit from all of them. Um, so I'm not sure I would, I would, I would pick one man or woman as kind of my, my main educational mentor as much as I've been lucky enough to be around some good people and saw things done really well, saw things done not so well a few times, and was able to kind of develop my own philosophy based on that. Nice. Yeah. So that's the thing, right? There's never really that one mentor. It almost seems like it's an accumulation and the result of a couple really good influencers in your development. Yeah, yeah. And part of my model at Seton Hall for the last 10 plus years is bringing two interns every semester from one of the surrounding colleges. And we don't really have an exercise science or a phys ed major on campus. So I try to bring kids from places like Montclair State, William Patterson, uh, Kane, Monmouth, places like that. And what I, I tell kids from day one is I'm going to be, I'm going to teach you what I know, right? Which is basically at this point after 18 years, how to be a good training conditioning coach at Seton Hall University, right? I, you, if you're not going to take my job, you have to go out and learn how to do things some other ways because what I do works pretty well where I am right now. If I go get another job next September and I'm in a whole different environment, things have to change, right? So I think that's one, one thing you don't want to do. The same way you wouldn't just read one book about training and implement it 100% that way and never look outside that one book. You wouldn't just follow one Instagram account and everything that guy or girl does in your training take you know, get the dozen, 20, 30 good influences and kind of simulate that into your own philosophy, I think is the way to go. No, of course not. It does take that multi-angle approach to, to to achieve a certain point. And I think, you know, was it 18 years now you said at Seton Hall? Yeah, since 05 and it's 2023. So I'm in the middle of my 18th academic year here. Yeah, that that's it's a long time coming, right? And I think you definitely shown that you are the result of all that time under tension. What? Go a little bit more in terms of, was it maybe education? Was it exposure through uh, practical applications? What gave you the leverage that you have today to to be at Seton Hall? I think it's a little bold. In our profession, if you want to work in the college setting, right, you need to have the, the academic background of at least a master's degree to even get your application looked at at most schools. Right? A bachelor's degree is going to cut it. So you have to be able to buckle down and do the academic work to get through at least a master's, possibly a PhD. A lot of head strength coach director performers have a PhD. I have two master's. I have one in health promotions, and I have one in uh, sports, sports management. All right. So my idea was if I ever get the opportunity to move to the administrative side of things, I wanted that MBA under my belt to be able to do that. I kind of decided the last couple of years, I don't think that's for me. I kind of like the education side of things a little bit better. And I like being hands-on with the athletes and being able to walk around campus and know everybody and watch games and stuff like that. I like that more than being in an office. But I think it's it's two-sided. You need to have a really strong academic background. I think for two reasons. Number one, you have to understand how the body works, right? You understand physiologically why a hand clean is different than running on a treadmill, is different than playing pickup basketball. What happens physiologically? We have to know those things. But on the other side, I think we have a profession that the best and worst thing about it is 
the amount of information that becomes available on a daily basis is just relentless. Like if you read everything, if you follow every credible social media account, if you read every article the NSA pumps out, there's still no way to keep keep abreast of every single thing that's going on, right? So the good part is we live in a great time of there's a million podcasts, YouTube channels, Instagram accounts, TikToks, whatever about trades. That's really great, right? The bad side of it is, number one, there's too much to keep up with how dedicated you are. And number two, with I feel like younger people and people don't have that academic background, they're confused, right? They really don't have the, the firm academic background to sift through the really good stuff that's out there online and the kind of kind of flash in the pan, not as good, not as safe, not as effective stuff. So I think you have to kind of have that good academic background and then mix that with staying abreast and staying on top of what's going on right now. The joke I always make is I've been doing this job a long time and I've never had a student athlete ask me, you know, what's good with the Krebs cycle? Or can you please explain to me the sliding filament theory and muscle contraction? Well, those things are important, but the questions I feel day to day are, do you know about this new pre-workout I heard about? What do you know about intermittent fasting? Is the paleo diet for me? So you got to be able to talk the language that these kids talk or your clients speak and be able to talk about what's going on in the field today because that's what they want to know about. I always tell the coaches are, if you want to be old school and set your ways and close-minded, that's fine. But don't be mad when your clients and athletes go find somebody who is not those things and train with them instead. Yeah. No, I think that's, that speaks a lot of truth. And it's fine to know your educational aspect. I think that that's a big component of it. Not going to turn this into an educational speech, but that's a huge component. Being said, translating that with your knowledge into words that your students and your, your, your team, your players understand is what it comes down to. Right. I think, I think other guests on the show have already addressed this, but I'll go ahead and reiterate it. Um, we become almost like interpreters to some extent, right? I think the best strength coaches, the best exercise physiology professors, the best nutritionists are men and women that can sit down and read a journal article or do research themselves, right? And then interpret that to the regular layperson. What does that mean for them? You know what I mean? Um, and I think really just break it down and make it simple. And what I want to state the college athletes, for example, that I deal with, just an idea like um, nutrient timing, right? It's a great idea. It does, and it definitely makes a difference. But if you don't live in their world and can't tell them when to go to the dining hall, what hours are open, and how to actually implement that in your life, it's not going to matter a whole lot, right? And I think when we see some strength coaches, some exercise physiologists, some clinicians, and I see, I've been doing a presentation about the book writing process the last couple of years. And one thing I think our profession suffers from is personal trainers, strength coaches, quote-unquote weight room guys and girls get a bad rap for being like the stupidest people in the room, right? Because you're physical, you're not intellectual, you're a, a stupid bodybuilder, which I think is a stupid stereotype because most bodybuilders I know are pretty intelligent to keep it real. But, and then we want to go so far the other way of proving to people what we know versus proving to them we can help them, right? So the idea of knowing, you, you recite the essential training listening book cover to cover, that's great. 90% of the people you deal with are not going to care about that at all. They want to know, you read a 400-page book, give me the four minutes out of that book, it's going to help me look good for summer or feel better when I'm getting out of my car and walking to my house or lets me have the, enough flexibility to play with my grandkids. Then you got to take everything in and then distill it to the things that are important and are going to help your clients or athletes or whoever you're dealing with the training. Yeah, amen to that. That couldn't have been said any better, right? The, the bodybuilder, the, the trainer, 
they're, we're not looked at in such a positive light in terms of being the most knowledgeable person in the room. Never. I mean, look down upon, if anything, like you said. You know, we, I, I think you guys have a cool show because you're mixing personal training with occupational therapy, right? And I yes. think there's, there's, this, there's this kind of disconnect of personal trainers, people in the fitness industry, strength and conditioning coaches, whatever, performance coaches, whatever nomenclature you want to use, are viewed very far behind our medical professionals, right? And let's keep it up. We're going to look at licensure and education. To some extent, they are, right? But can we also look at maybe if we put more respect and more stock into what these fitness professionals were telling us earlier on in life, more people could stay out of the medical industrial complex and not need PTs, OTs, ATs, ATCs later on in their life, right? So I'm not saying I'm not delusional. You can't avoid every injury, every chronic condition with exercise. That's definitely not what I'm saying. But there are things we can implement earlier on and make people just more structurally sound, better in movement point A to point B, better in maintaining a range of motion, and not have everybody that's 35 and up feeling terrible about themselves, being overweight, being pre-diabetic, having cardiovascular respiratory issues. Um, so I think we need to put a little more stock into what we're doing and kind of, do, I think it, it's twofold. I think society wants to point and laugh at, at all kind of people in profession sometimes. And then sometimes our profession does do a great job of policing itself, right? We live in an era where guys, men and women with PhDs that have produced tons of research, written quality books, you know, produce a quality podcast, don't have a tenth the following of the libertine or just some, some jack guy on Instagram or an attractive woman. And I'm not saying those, those people might have great information out there, but for whatever reason, people like yourself and people like uh, like Asher, they have all the, the letters behind the name possible are viewed as like the same law as someone took a weekend certification course. And I think until our profession corrects that, probably internally first and then shifts the narrative in a bigger culture we live in, that's not really going to change for us anytime soon. Yeah, it's almost like unless you begin a new TikTok trend or if we were to record this, you know, with our, our shirts ex- shirts off, eyes exposed, you know, showing what we have underneath, that's who's going to listen to us? And it's kind of yeah. sad. Well, I think it's, it's an interesting thing, man. And, and being the, the head of New Jersey NSCA, the director for the last year, I've been involved in this world. Well, I'll, I'll keep it real. Uh, just to give your audience a little a background on myself. I was, I was really not into strength and conditioning and fitness, social media and promotions until right around COVID hit. And the reason being was I had sold my first book to a, to a pretty big publisher. And my idea was I wanted to hit the ground running and have that book have a name and a presence before you could even What's the name of the first book? Uh, Finish Strong, Resistance Training for Endurance Athletes, uh, which is available now on Amazon at Barnes & Nobles across the country, across the world, honestly, it's a European publisher. But what my, my, so for whatever reason, I was kind of set in, I'm going to work at Sea Hall. I don't need to establish a name for myself. I don't need to be in that world of social media and Instagram and TikTok and stuff like that. 2020, 2021, I'm starting to get ready to drop the book. And I get in that world, right? I, I write an Instagram account for the book, which is finish underscore strong underscore book. I start promoting myself and the appearance on these podcasts. And I jump head first into the world that we're all in now, right? And I think I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the per, I was joke I always make is if you're the person that hates Instagram in 2023, you were the person that hated books in 1250. Like, you're like, why do you need books? You only need a printing press, just carve your stuff in a stone or memorize it. Nobody needs books. They're not going to last. But books did last. Social media is probably going to last at least as long as I live. Who knows what happens after that? So I think you've got, you've got to be on it. You've got to be establishing a name for yourself. But at the same time, 
I think everybody, not just people in our profession, need to have a little bit better academic background to sift through the nonsense, right? Um, I would say we live in a, in a great place. America's a great place, but to say it, it definitely had its shortcomings. I think one of them in the last 100 years has been we let kids out of the public and private school system when they're seniors in high school that never had a nutrition class, never had a good phys ed experience. Nobody ever explained to them how much physical activity you need in your life after competitive sports are over, right? Don't know what a calories, don't know what a macronutrient is. So if we're going to release those kids out into the wild at 18 years old, are we going to really be shocked that by 30, so many of them are overweight, obese, diabetic, pre-diabetic, cardiovascular issues, hypertension, all that stuff? I don't think you can. I think what we should do is do a better job of educating young people so when they get on Instagram or get on TikTok or get on YouTube, they can look at say this podcast and be like, that's good stuff. I want to follow that. And then go look at somebody who's clearly not putting out good content and be like, maybe I'm entertained by that, but I don't need to do that work out myself. I think one of the shortcomings of our profession too is we're producing so much material for other strength coaches, for other personal trainers. And we speak at conferences. And I'm definitely a part of this sometimes. We want to impress the room, right? We want to be, we want to impress other people in the profession. And some of us, and I'm probably involved in this too, need to get out of the room and do a better job of selling ourselves and our products and our methods to regular people that can actually benefit from them more than a room full of personal trainers or a room full of coaches. Yeah, perfectly said. So seeing that this is, what I guess to say, an allied healthcare industry, and on the roots of that, starting class last week, uh, besides being a student educator as well for a class named Leadership and Anaerobic Exercise, I took an, a non-characteristic approach of what most professors do and introduced the course with a little bit more of what are some good qualities that the students can take with them throughout this course and beyond the course and apply it in their daily lives. Specifically, um, looking at scientific research as a starting place for common idea ideas that they may see on social media, prevalently TikTok and Instagram, right? And then knowing that social media, who is the, the, the speaker, knowing their credentials, and then knowing the message of the speaker, what it's intended for, and that multiple interpretations will exist for that one given idea. It's not to be taken for what it's shown to be. No, that's fair, man. If you can help kids or college students get that thought process earlier than later, I think they're probably going to be in a better spot to absorb the overwhelming amount of content our profession puts out there on a daily basis. And be better. the other thing is this, too. I think there's more. I'm not a big, that's a bad way to exercise. I know something's dangerous, but I think, like, I think more we need to educate people on is, is this right for me, right? Um like just a powerlifting workout might be great for person A that wants to get big and strong and lift and, and you know squat and bench heavy, but maybe another method is better for person B. I think that's a big thing too. And I think part of the economics of what we do, so many training methods have to kind of sell themselves as one size fits all and we're good for everybody. Everybody should come and train with us. And I respect that kind of inclusivity. I do. But in reality, I think it's probably, you should be a little more selective as a consumer when you join a gym or hire a trainer or work with a specialist of, is this person and their methods right for me at this point in my life? And that's, I don't, I don't think, there's, there's not that many bad ways to exercise out there. There's just a lot of suboptimal ways to exercise based on where you are in your life and your fitness level and your lifespan, your injury or disease state. Yeah. As someone looking outward in, 
it's probably beneficial on your behalf to hire the expert, whether it's a strength conditioning coach for an athlete or a trainer, just because you're looking to get into shape or their doctor said you need to get into shape, have someone guide you. You don't just, you know, go to a restaurant and decide what's going into your meal. Someone prepared that. They took the time to intricately say, this is going first, right? This much salt, that much pepper. Same thing with exercise. It's that much leg work, that much upper body work. So and I think, I think it's, it's two-sided, man. Consumers need to figure out what they want to accomplish, right? And then I think as, as professionals, guys like us you know, and women in our profession need to figure out what your niche is and how you can help people get from A to B. I think that's an important thing. And I think, I don't know, I don't have any real great concrete ideas on how that's done, but I do think there's more of a value placed on people that have, I think, I think it's two-sided. I think the, the consumer needs to place more value on people that have done the work and done the research and are at the top of their profession, right? But at the same time, we need to do a better job of selling our services to people and marketing ourselves and differentiating ourselves from the guy or girl that took a weekend course at Gold's Gym and is now quote-unquote personal trainer, right? And I would say the best and worst thing about exercise is as long as you're burning calories, you could get quote-unquote in shape, right? But now that number one, did you have to do it for 10 hours a day or three hours a day to attain the same results? Number two, are you, how are you feeling while you're doing that, right? I think anybody who just stop eating, you get skinny, that's a thing you can do, right? Or you feel terrible or nutrient deficiencies, you'll have no energy, your body will start breaking down. It's not the best way to do it, right? But if you're a doctor that tells you got to lose 40 pounds, how do you do that? What's the best way to do that for you at your age and the stage in your life? And I think we need to do a better job of explaining the customers and marketing ourselves as this is why me and my methods are better than this thing you saw on TikTok last night. Correct. Yeah, methods are key. They play huge into any success in any program. Uh, what now? Since students come to you, you don't have to go out and really market to obtain a group of students. Do you find that a little bit easier in terms of them buying into your coaching philosophy and leadership style or the opposite way around? I'll tell you what, I have, I'll be honest, and this is from being at school for close to 20 years um, and, and being have the personality type that I have. We have 250 student athletes, right? I know all of them on a first name basis. I can tell you most of their majors, most of their hometowns. I talk to their parents when they come to the games. I'm a, I'm a person on campus that our student athletes know and I'm going to guess most of them like, right? I'm, oh, I'm at their games. I'm rooting for them. I'm always talking about it. I'll talk to them when I see them on campus, the whole thing. So I, I think, my, and that's important. I think the idea of the old school, I'm the hardest guy in the room. I'm going to make the weight room a torture chamber guy. I think that's over. Okay, I don't think that, or it doesn't work in my environment. It might work in yours or somebody else's, but it doesn't work for me. What works for me is I'm here to support your endeavors at Seton Hall University. So whether that means get you big and strong and put some size on you and play Big East baseball, or whether that's one way to do it. Another way is you broke up with your boyfriend or girlfriend and you stayed up at 3 in the morning last night and now it's 6 in the morning and I'm asking you to do, you know, sets of burpees and you're breaking down emotionally. Maybe you got to come in the office and we got to talk about that. That's a thing that happens too in my job, right? So I think you got to – my job, I, I did a presentation for a long time with the NSA called preparing, student, preparing Students for College Athletics. And I think for a long time, you know, some strength coaches, like they like when they get a kid to quit or they like when they get a kid to transfer or they like when they get a kid to get out of the program. 
And what I like is I help kids succeed in the program. So I used to put this slide up from the, the rapper Most Def, who was pretty popular in the late 90s. And so I saw it called mathematics, right? And the song just does a bunch of like rhymes and numbers. It's pretty creative. And one of the one of them is, is basically the effect of um, why did why did the straw break the camel's back? It wasn't the one straw, but the one straw underneath it. I think I butchered that a little bit, which I apologize for. But I haven't seen that slide or that song in a minute. But the idea is that I want to make the camel's back stronger. I don't want to be the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Now, one thing that's different from a methods perspective, you said the word methods. Every year that I've been involved in college strength and conditioning, the kids are coming to campus better educated or they think they're better educated at what their body needs because of the explosion of private sector personal training and private sector sports performance training, right? So we do, I deal with kids all the time on the recruiting trip. They've already been working at one training facility for three years by the time they're a junior in high school, right? So in that, in that case, I kind of we'll have a meeting, we'll sit down, and I'll be like, Okay, I, I may know the person you're training with when you're at home. I, we're going to be able to implement X, Y, and Z from that. We're going to change D, E, and F, A, B, and C, whatever it might be. Um, but the, and then some of the times, some things you have to do team-wise for team building and team bonding and kind of keeping everybody on the same page. But then you can't differentiate from that a little bit. So I made a very long answer to what could have been a short question. Is it easier than, than always being on the hustle for new clients and new people to train? Yes, that aspect is easier. But dealing with 250 student athletes and 250 personalities and 250 different injury and training backgrounds is another set of challenges. Yeah, that, that's amazing. So you, you take the time to get to know each individual, their name, a little bit about them. Yeah, yeah. and my, my, my attitude is that if you're going to – and some of these kids, I spend as much time as anybody on campus, right? The kids that like to lift or if they're injured and doing rehab in the weight room or kids are hundreds of hours with and it's a cliche but it's true like a lot of cliches are you, you got to care about them outside of the sport right what i would say is what, what people kind of forget about college athletics like division one college athletics are once you're playing sports at this level not to everybody but to a lot of people you're not a person you're a set of numbers right you're x amount of points per game x amount of rebounds per game you're this batting average whatever it might be right and I think eventually that just wears you down. And it's a, it's a weird thing, too, because you're getting treated like a professional athlete, but you're not really getting paid like a professional athlete. So there's a whole gray area in there that I can talk about and stand on my soapbox for hours about. But um, my, I want to be I want to be the person. You know what I mean? I want to be I really the person, not the numbers, where if you're my guy on the baseball team, we got a heavy squat workout. I'm treating you the same way if you went four for oh in a game. Uh, Went four for four and hit a grand slam the night before. If he went zero for four and struck out, it maybe cost us, cost us the game. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely attest to it. Right, even when when I was visiting you at Seton Hall, walking through the campus, students genuinely walked up to you and you knew their name and and they knew yours. Dude, man, I am. Uh, I always say in any environment I've been in, I'm the people's champ. The administration <laughs> might not get it. The head coaches might not get it. But the people are going to love me, and I just really lean into that the last couple of years. And even with the, with the NSCA, man, I like dealing with headquarters. I like dealing with you know quote unquote big time strength coaches. But my goal there is to get the regular people, the, the young personal trainers, the young strength coaches, the high school strength coaches, to come out, be in the same room for a day, a couple times a year, and get to see those quote unquote big time men and women speak and see what's going on at the next level. But I would much rather be. 
I would, at the end of an event at the NSC, I would much rather have 40, 50 people come up in person, shake my hand, and say they had a great time than get like one letter of a, of a, like a, a nice letter from the head of the NSC. Like, I'm cool being a people's champ, and I, I would probably hopefully be that forever. Nice. I think the people's champ is a very nice way to put it. It's subtle but impactful. Um, Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, a little bit about the National Strength Conditioning Association, right? So you're the New Jersey State Director, and what what has it taught you so far, right? I know you're pretty new into the role, but what what yeah, have you learned? Time flies. I feel like I'm new into it, but my first year is almost over. So I got I got appointed in April of 2022, uh, and then I, I have it for two more years, and I potentially another three-year run if I get reelected. But I guess... The thing it taught me, and this is something that I didn't understand at all when I was a young coach, and I understood it a little bit the last couple of years, but this last year really smacked me in the face of the reality of putting on live events and conferences and clinics is harder than people think, right? A lot of people buy a, buy a, um, like a, they call buy a pass or a badge or a ticket to an event, and they don't see how many hours went on behind the scenes to bring all those people together, to secure the facility, to uh, get lunch for 200 people. It's just something as easy as that. You just think our sandwich appeared at the right time, but literally a dozen people worked like crazy to make that happen. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that's one thing I've learned, and I've really taken on as a learning experience of how to put on these bigger events. I've done some smaller stuff for nothing of this magnitude like happened in the last year. And I want to really, and the other thing I've learned is that I'm trying to serve the 750 roughly NSCA members in New Jersey, and that's a lot of different subgroups and subgenres of our profession, right? There's some PTs, there's some ATCs, there's some chiropractors in the organization, there's college men and women who work in college, men who work in high school, a ton in the private sector, and a ton in the tactical field the last couple of years doing stuff with fire departments, police departments, and military. So trying to serve all those constituencies has definitely been challenging. And the way I wanted to attack it is, you know, bring in a couple people from every kind of subgenre and have them present on something that is great for their little, you know, nook of the world, but then also maybe interesting to everybody else. So for example, we have Morgan Gregory from the Philadelphia Phillies at the last conference. He was the last speaker, kind of headliner, if you will. It was, it was a great time. We're at Georgia Court University, right down the block from the Jersey Shore Blue Cross play who are the Phillies, low-A affiliate, right? And the Phillies had literally been in the World Series less than a month before Morgan came and spoke with us, right? So you got the, one of the hottest strength coaches in the game at an area of the Jersey Shore where baseball is by far the most popular sport, right? Mm-hmm. He had a home run. He did a great job speaking about his time with the Phillies this year and how to apply that stuff to young athletes and what young parents, coaches, strength coaches can do excuse me, to – get their players ready to play at the next level. And that's kind of, kind of been my goal the last couple of years. I want to try to bring something for everybody, but my goal being, not my goal, my background being so heavy in competitive collegiate and professional sports, I want to give high school strength coaches, private sector strength coaches, sport coaches, the knowledge that if I get a couple of kids that are pretty good over the next few years, what are they looking at to play for the Phillies or the Flyers or the Jets or whatever it might be? How do we take that next level? How do we take that step to the next level? Because one thing I've seen across the board is college athletes come to campus very unprepared for what's going to be asked of them, right? And even the earlier you can start that process, the smoother the transition to college is going to be. So if you can start getting physically ready 
your junior, senior year in high school and hit the ground running your first semester, you're going to be in a much better position than someone who comes, got recruited and signed, signed a scholarship off of pure talent, and then get smacked in the face with the reality of, oh, we don't practice two hours a day, we practice four hours a day, and we lift in the morning, and they're studying all night, and all of my tests are hard, and I have mandatory study on, I have to eat and dine on, I have to wear this specific sponsored shoe that maybe I don't want to wear, it's not the optimal shoe for me, but that's a contract the school has. Then you got to start getting ready for that stuff early on and set yourself up for success. Because what I've seen in the last couple of years, the transfer rate and the dropout rate is pretty high, you know, relatively high. I want to be a part of bringing that down and putting kids in college where they want to be and having good four-year careers, be a part of them having a great four years of their life, hopefully at Seat Hall or wherever they decide to go. Yeah, um, not to plug our, our event, you know, at the New Jersey State Clinic, but being a, um, a spectator and a facilitator and kind of the process of, of setting up some, some parts of it, there was great enthusiasm and the electricity almost felt comparable to a larger, more national conference. Um, I mean, we had over a hundred, hundred plus attendees for yeah, we had, we had 125 people that sold the room out. There's 125 seats in a room. And we hit 125. They told me we had to stop selling tickets because it was, it was full for safety reasons. Yeah. Which is obviously have to do that. That's the way it's got to be. We're going to go in a little bigger spot for 2023. But I think that's the thing, man. We, we look as coaches sometimes. We, we look at if we, these are things we have to go to, right? I need the CEUs. My job is making me go. But I think, number one, if you're not interested, is it, for example, you're a high school strength coach and you're not interested on what the guy that's with the Phillies is doing, or we had the mental skills coach Adam Wright from the Washington Nationals, what he's doing, or what Don Smith is the head athletic trainer for Georgia and Court, what he's doing. Do you even belong in this profession anymore? I think mm-hmm. if you're not trying to get better and learn from, in that case, still three, we had six presenters, I believe, that are all at the top of their, their field. If you're not interested in learning from those men and women, it's probably time to hang it up, in my opinion. Put the whistle down, put the sweatpants on, go put a sport on and do a date, do an office job, because this ain't for you. And I want to make every single thing we do with the NSA an event just like that. I want the vibe to be energetic. I want to do giveaways in between every speech. I'm trying to put together an uh, after-party mixer cocktail hour for the 2023 event. And I just think strength, you know, strength coaches are they're, they're regular people, but I think we can entertain them and teach them at the same time. And, let, and the biggest thing is let them network too, right? What, it, what you'll see is that so much of our profession and in any you know, subheading of our profession is so relationship-based. If you get in a room with 200 people in your profession and you're not working that room, handing out business cards, exchanging phone numbers, uh, following John Instagram right there on the spot, you've wasted your money that day. Because even as I've, speaking, I've spoken at a ton of NSA conferences, my thing is I can teach you some stuff in an hour. I'll teach you what I know. But if you contact me afterwards, hit me with an email, hit me with a text, come on and come and see you and watch me train kids for a day, you're going to learn way more. Just like I'm going to learn way more when I contact you. And I mean, that's got to be the bigger thing. I think we keep preaching to young kids that networking is the key. And don't teach them anything about networking or give them chances to network, right? So what I re- maybe the thing I'm the most proud of at that event was after every single speaker, you saw a speaker outside talking to a group of people, talking to, you know, demonstrating stuff, taking questions, fielding questions. I'm assuming a lot of them kept in touch afterwards. So I, think that's what I think what you can do on stage for an hour is super important, but I think that lasting relationship for learning and connection and networking and helping this profession actually can really take hold. Yeah, no, tr- tr- so much truth in that. And I think even helping myself obtain 
a little bit of credibility, right, amongst my peers and other people in the, in the relevant industry was attending these conferences over the past number of years, clinics, you know, weekend certification courses. And when the speaker was on presenting, I didn't go to the back of the room, out the door like everybody else. I went to the front and I made it a point to introduce myself, whether I asked some legitimate question or not. But you being a different individual and asking them a question, it goes a long way. And when your name resurfaces, you're like, oh, shit, I remember him or her. Yeah. You know what I would say, Brian? I think the thing that showed you, we as a state advisory board, yourself absolutely included in the statement, hit that conference out of the park. And I want to happen in every event we get to work on together. Uh, Morgan Gregory was done speaking at 3 p.m. He spoke from 2 to 3, right? At about 3.15, 3.20, he was still on stage in a packed auditorium taking questions from people, right? And that means after five or six hours at the conference, people didn't want to leave yet. They were rushing out, right? They were bum-rushing over to get in their car and go home. They wanted more time with those presenters, particularly Morgan in that case, right? So I think when you do that, you really know you've, you've done something. You, you've like, yeah. attracted the right crowd, and they, they, they took the speaker the right way. So I think there's one thing, if any other people in this position are listening, I think think about making it as educational and as entertaining as possible. And if you're the hostess, I think if you're the hostess or something like that, if you want the vibe to be good and high energy and everybody happy and connecting, you got to be doing that. You got to be the face of that, right? You got to be the guy introing everything. I always say, I'm half strength, I'm a third strength coach, I'm a third pro wrestling promo guy, and I'm a third mixtape DJ, the way I announce these presenters when they come up on stage, right? Um, but these, these are men and women that have done great things. They're pillars of our profession. They've written the books we've read. They run the accounts we look at on, online. They, they work for the teams we root for. Let's make them feel like the rock stars they are and get people fired up to hear some of the best in the business speak. Yeah, no, you being, being, the, being the best organizer you can be, it's so, so essential for that role. It's, it's really, really a, a task to do, and you've done it. You've Absolutely. showed it. I'm excited to see what, what May, uh, May 2023 brings down in Monmouth University. Yeah, you know what, and I would say young, young coaches that are, really not even young, just any coaches that are listening in any kind of professional organization, I really believe the best thing you can do after you attend an event, other for the organization, not for yourself, yourself is networking and giving cards out and following people on social media, but when you get the evaluations, take a few minutes, because you gave a day of your life to this thing, and you're paying this organization a membership fee all the time, and write out what you really thought about it and what you want to see for next time. Right. If you loved everything, great. Give the guy or girl that put it together their props and keep it moving. But if you said, I really liked speakers one and two, speaker three lost my interest because of X, Y, Z. Or I liked what we saw, but I would like to see more tactical stuff and next year, whatever it is. Let people know because these people, you know, we're here to serve you. You guys pay the membership fees. You pay to come to the clinics. You buy the tickets. So I want to keep, I want to keep going, but. That's how I'm trying to stay abreast of the profession and give people what they want. And if you want to see more tactical stuff, I want to bring in the best tactical presenters we can, right? If you want more hockey stuff, great. Let me know that, and then I'm going to go try to contact the best NHL people I can. But we got to know what people want in order to keep making these events better and worth people's time and money. Yeah, no, we, we I mean, it seems like you take these reviews wholeheartedly, uh, which is, looks, it looks excellent. It means a lot. Um, a little bit 
I guess beyond that, the, the NSCA, uh, was there anything, any last comments with the NSCA you wanted to touch on that you could use it as a moment to speak on? No, like like you, you hinted at before. I don't, I don't want to date this because we really went through and I listened to this interview, but uh, right now we're pretty much on track to have a, a New Jersey State Clinic at Monmouth University on May 20th, 2023. That'll be our next event. We're in the process of filling submissions right now. So if you have a, present, a presentation or a post you'd like to submit, go ahead and look at the NSA website to do that. And I think the one thing I would say to young coaches is if you're you – know, I'm the kind of person where if I – I would rather do something about a problem than complain about a problem, right? And for whatever reason, and there's a million reasons out there, you might not be super happy with your professional organization. Do something about it. Write an email, fill out the, the forms, run for an office, do something to make it better. And I, I, I think the NSA does a lot of good stuff. I don't think they're perfect. Just not, neither am I. I'm not perfect myself. But I saw a situation where I could maybe jump in and do something better for coaches in my, my state, and I wanted to do that. So I think if you're really the kind of person that just goes to events because you have to and you need to see you and you want to act like you know everything already, jump in and make it better. If you're, if you're mad about the people getting booked at conferences in your area, go book your own conference and book the people you would want to see. Uh, one person, you got, I think your first guest was Kenny Santucci, right? Your first guest yes. on here. Um, and I, I was aware of him from like the MTV world before you guys interviewed him, but not from the, the fitness industry world, which I learned a lot in that episode. One thing I liked about him was he's like, I want to learn about kettlebells, so I booked the kettlebell course at my facility, right? I want to learn about landmines, so I booked the landmine course at my facility, and then he learned about it, his staff learned about it, and anybody in the area that wants to come learn about it got to learn about it. And that's kind of the way we need to address this as a profession. Rather than staying in a, in a bubble and being mad at what's going on in the organization or in the profession, do something. Just do something about it, and it might work, it might not. Nobody bats a thousand. You might strike out once or twice. But do something about it and make it better from the inside rather than just hating on it from the outside. Yeah, it's so important, again, to be that change that you really want to see. It's cliche as hell, but it's it's so true. And like Kenny did, right? You see a problem, you come up with a solution. And yeah, he- I, think, okay, I want to be clear on, clear on one thing on that. Uh, Joe Lopez was a state director for the six years before me, and he did a great job. Great guy. Uh, head strength coach is John, John, John Beany High School. He, his advisor would pick me to speak at a couple, and then at the end of 2020, he's had a conversation at the at the regional clinic about what he, he was ready to step down and what I could do to apply to take over, and I got I got selected, and that's kind of the way that went. But I think you're in a, in a good I was in a good position where I had a person who did a very good job, and I got to learn from what they did for a year or two and be able to take the ball and run with it from there, right? And that's a, that's a thing too. There's only a three year. Um, Appointment six if you get reelected. So if you like what's going on, try to get it and and keep, keep running with it and keep growing that person's vision and then add your own to it. And the next person will add to that. And that's how we get better as a profession and organization. Beautifully. Uh, quick, quick to transition away from the NSCA and let's give the viewers a little bit of like some actionable advice okay. that they can implement tomorrow uh, for the strength coach specifically. Um, what are some methods that you use to keep some organization in in the weight room specifically right because it is a hectic place yeah okay i think the first thing you have to do when you if you get a job in a scholastic weight room setting high school college whatever it is um safety's got to be number one right you gotta have a real clear thought you gotta know how many people are allowed in the room at the same time you gotta adhere to that number 
and you got to schedule your days and your weeks around that, right? Um, and then you got to see how to be, a, once you're safe, then you talk about how we're going to be effective. So let's say, you know, we're lucky to know we have eight rack platform combos. What does that really mean on a daily basis? Can we put three kids at a rack? Can we put two kids at a rack? Are we doing something that's very technique and teaching intensive? Should we only put them on the front four racks so it's easier to keep an eye on everybody? So start thinking about things like that. I think safety is the first thing you want to address. You'd be as safe as possible. And then start thinking about how to be as effective as possible. If you're in the high school or college setting, the, we're kind of handcuffed by NCAA rules as far as how many hours we can have the kids in the room over the span of a week. So you have to start thinking about that and how, you know, if everybody could train for 20 hours a week, we'd all look like crosser models and be jacked with abs and, and looking great. In reality, either your real life, your personally training people, there's only so many hours a week you can train. In college setting, because of NCAA regulations, so many rules you can train. How do you get the most out of your time with student athletes, right? They would only be in the weight room three hours a week. That means there's whatever, 200 hours a week where they're not with you. Can you make an impact on the choices they make outside of their the sleep, diet, nutrition to, to continue the games trying to make in the weight room? And how do you best put together your sessions to be as efficient as possible? So I think a lot of strength coaches hate CrossFit the last 10, 15 years. One thing CrossFit does really well is putting together efficient workouts, right? That burn a lot of calories in a short period of time. Now, I'm not saying everybody should go join a CrossFit gym, but I'm saying, do we do some supersets, some circuits? How do we get the most bang out of every minute we're in the gym because we only got so many minutes a week? Uh, that's the next thing you want to think about. And then I think as a strength coach, you want to learn as much about the demands of the sports you're training as you possibly can, right? So, for example, I work with 12 sports on an almost daily basis. I didn't play all of them. Right? Like I've never really played golf competitively. I've never played tennis at any real level. I've never done side and done, I've done soccer since I was a little kid. Um, I've only done soccer as a little kid, not an adult at all. So you got to start researching and reading and talking to as many people as you can and think about, you know, if I only got these three hours a week to train these baseball players, what's the most important thing, right? And then you got to look at your, your population. Oh, for example, at Seton Hall, our baseball guys come to campus. They've already trained a lot. They're grown men. They look like grown men on day one. Now, we're going to get better. We're going to get bigger. We're going to get stronger. They've all lifted before, right? Their training age is pretty high. Through the culture of the sport, well, our cross-country kids may have never lifted before. Our soccer kids may have never lifted before. And the demands of the sport are different, and the demands of those kids' bodies are different. So how do you address those? And I think that one piece of advice I always give the young coaches, a lot of times you might start off your career working with the quote-unquote you know, non-spotlight sports. Your first job is not going to be with LSU football, Alabama football. Your first job in basketball is not, right? It's probably going to start out working with cross-country, tennis, golf, whatever it might be. Learn how to train those sports. Learn everything about those sports. And then once you're good at that in your position, then start looking to, all right, well, how would I tweak this for basketball? How would I tweak this for football? And then start maybe trying to make that move a couple years in. But if you get a job with Olympic sports or maybe a couple of the kind of, I would call them like lower level sports, I hate to say that because those sports mean the, the world to the kids that play them and compete in them. Learn as much as you can about the demands on their on their bodies and what that sport demands. Um, because number one, that's going to make you better at whatever job you take next. Number two, if you think outside the box of college athletics for a little bit, um, for example, the country club sports like golf and tennis, you get really good at training golf and tennis players and you decide college isn't for you. Well, that's a great market as a personal trainer, right? Those are people that take the sport seriously, have discretionary income, have time, and hire personal trainers. And in my career, that was a dorm running, right? About 10 years ago, I got really into running, ran a couple of marathons, 
And I, I decided to write the book, Finish Strong with the Training for Endurance Athletes, because I was training myself. I was running across country kids. I looked up with one of our athletic trainers, Dr. R.J. Borgers, and we just got to wrote the template for resistance training for endurance athletes. That's a thing that hadn't been served before, right? And those kind of people that do, you know, master swimming, triathlon, marathons, those are people that will buy books. Traditionally, they, they buy books. They spend money on their training. They take their health seriously. Wrote a book specifically for that kind of person because we were that kind of person and that book didn't exist. So I think whenever you put in a situation, even if it's not your, your quote-unquote ideal situation or quote dream job, learn from it, get better from it, and take what you learn from it to get ready for that next step in your career. Yeah, starting off with being safe and effective practices. But then you alluded to um, being a leader outside of the weight room, right? Because you only see them for X number of hours a week. You said three. And how do you maintain or know that they're maintaining their their obligations? It's the hardest thing about working in the college setting because when you come in the building, we have a refueling station, there's a cafeteria on campus, there's a weight room. There's an athletic training room with all kinds of recovery techniques. You have a recovery room now on campus just open this year. You have all these things to make you better, right? Then the minute you walk out of the building, you got frat parties. You got the train to Hoboken. You got the train in New York City. You got music festivals. You got every night, every, every you close down every bar if you want to in town. And I'm not delusional. Like, I understand why all that's fun and why all that's attractive and why you got to take advantage of it when you're young. But I also understand there's got to be some kind of balance, right? So I think to some extent, you got to meet them where they are, understand like partying and hanging out and maybe drinking alcohol is a, is a thing for some people. But is there a way we can balance that with some good nutrition most of the time, hard training most of the time, doing the right things, recovery in between, for recovery in between sessions most of the time, and be a better version of yourself as, as a senior in college than you were a freshman in college. Yeah, and it's possible that the success you see with your athletes is due to your genuine care right you say their names you you see them on campus it's not like you're just disregarding them and only seeing them for that hour session right i've been here so long i do a bunch of other things on campus besides the weight room but yeah man i've got to be gone hopefully i think a good part of their lives while they're here and somebody they remember when they move on and do great things beyond college and college athletics nice um Again, let's let's go back to the viewer. What what are three exercises you use in the weight room across the board, non-specific to the athlete? Something that you'd recommend? Okay, I think barring injury, right, where someone has a range of motion issue, is there for a completely healthy person? I think the squat is probably the best exercise, right? That you're bringing your lower extremity that range of motion, maybe put some weight on your back while you do it, is beneficial for just about everyone. Okay. So for the squat first, the second And which type of squat is that? Uh, I, I see the, the, I mean, I guess the, at a lower level, the body weight squat is the most important thing. So you can't do that. You can't do a back squat, front squat, overhead squat. But then let's say we're a little bit more advanced. Maybe the back squat, barbell across the shoulders is probably my, my favorite movement that I think is good for just about everybody. Okay. Then I would say for just about everybody, we got to do some kind of hamstring development. Might be an RDL, might be a leg curl, might be a partner leg curl, whatever it is. But I think so many people in America right now, for a ton of reasons that everybody knows, our posterior chain is so weak, right? And so overpowered by our anterior musculature, we got to get better at the posterior chain. So I can only pick three exercises. I'm going to pick the squat, 
I'm going to pick some kind of hamstring development, let's say maybe an RDL, Romanian deadlift. And then because that posterior chain issue, I'm going to pick some kind of upper body pull. So maybe a pull up if you could do it, if not maybe a lat pull down or something like that. But I think those are the ones you want to hit for just about everybody and are valuable for, you know, you can manipulate the amount of resistance you have, how you do your sets and reps. But I think those are valuable for just about anybody at any stage of development. Very nice. Um, any variations from those exercises or standard, standard pretty much across the board to, to execute them? I think, I think it depends who we're talking about, right? If we're a beginner, the standard version is necessary. Then we learn the standard version, right? I think we're talking about someone who's been training for a while, then maybe that back squat can become a front squat, an overhead squat, a box squat, a pause squat. Those are all great variations, right? I think one thing we kind of kind of lack in our profession is that if you got to learn the basics. You got to build that foundation with your foundation movements and then be able to build upon those, right? I think, you don't, you know, I think people might get bored sometimes and might want to try different things or see it online or whatever. But I think if you can't do, you know, a squat, a deadlift, a bench press, a good pull upper body wise, everything else is going to be really hard, maybe, maybe impossible and possibly dangerous. So we got to get good at that foundation and then learn the variations. Nice. Very well said. Um, Angela, just to, to wrap this up, what are some methods that the audience can connect with you? Yeah, perfect, man. My email is angelo.gingerelli at gmail.com. So my first name dot my last name at gmail.com. Uh, my Facebook's exactly the same, Angelo Gingerelli. I'm pretty active in some of the NSCA groups on Facebook too, so you might catch me in there. And on Instagram, my, my professional Instagram, my LinkedIn is the same, Angelo Gingerelli. And then my professional Instagram for the book is at finish underscore strong underscore book. And those are the best ways to get in touch with me online. And just again, what's the name of the book and where can the audience find it? It's Finish Strong, a resistance training for endurance athletes. It's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. It's been out since November 2021. It's in most Barnes and Noble's locations. It's on Amazon.com like everything else. Um, those are kind of two best places to get it. And if you get the, whether you buy the book or not, reach out to any questions you have. But if you get the book and need clarification on anything, please shoot me an email. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Great. Well, thank you, Angel, for coming on. And I'm happy we talked about what it takes to be a collegiate level strength coach. Great, man. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed the show. Best of luck with the rest of the season.